Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Corey Rogers and Dr. Julia Cook, who are residents at Indiana University in Indianapolis, Indiana. Corey is a fifth-year resident. She's originally from Raleigh, North Carolina. She completed college at Appalachian State University and medical school at the University of Tennessee, and she's interested in hand surgery and preoperative optimization and quality improvement. Julia is a fourth-year resident. She's originally from Dyer, Indiana. She went to college at the University of New Mexico and medical school at Indiana University. Her interests include hand surgery, microsurgery, and clinical outcomes. Corey, Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of a big picture overview about your program at IU. Our program at IU, we have both integrated and independent program tracks. We're both in the integrated program. I would say as a large overview, we have a wide range of faculty as well as five main facilities that we cover. So we kind of get a very large breadth of plastic surgery. We have a wide variety of cases and I think when we all graduate, we feel very comfortable clinically. We also have a good bit of research as well through our program. How many independent residents are there and how many integrated residents are there? We take two of each program per year, so there's a total of 18 of us. And what's the relationship like or the the vibe between the integrated and independent residents? We actually get along really well. We're kind of a big family, and that I would say is one of the good parts of our program is that we really do work very well with the two programs combined. We have enough cases that we can decide who covers what cases. If somebody has a particular interest in a certain case or working with a certain attending, they're able to do that. And we have a very jovial kind of relationship. It's very congenial. And can you break down the plastics experience that you get over the first three years? So the first three years are a nice mixture of plastic surgery and general surgery combined with surgical subspecialties. We are certainly not a program that when we match our integrated residents, we wish them goodbye until year four. We see them quite a bit the first three years. So I would say that probably... Half of our first year is spent doing general surgery-specific services, and then we also have subspecialties that we are able to rotate on, including dermatology, orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, ENT. We even have a dermatopath rotation that some people are able to do, vascular. We really can kind of get a nice understanding of all of the different subspecialties that we'll eventually be working with. So we do a decent amount of general surgery, but we actually have a lot of those general surgery rotations, even in the subspecialties within the general surgery department. And then how about in the second year and third year? It's the same thing. It's a little bit of a mix. So it's more of a graduated type program. The first year you're doing the most amount of general surgery and surgical specialties and a little bit less of plastic surgery. I think there's three months of plastic surgery. Four months or so in the first year, and then it goes to about six months in your second year. And then essentially we only have 
two or three off-service specialties in your third year. By fourth year, you're only plastic. And what's your experience like when you are on those non-plastic services, like how you're treated as a resident? They're really good. Yeah. <laughs> we really enjoy we our, our general. Friends. Yeah, we enjoy our general <laughs> surgery faculty. We know like everyone in our classes. Everyone's really nice. The staff are really great. We still talk to them. We see them around and we get invited still to like their houses and, you know, events that staff may host, some of the general surgery and trauma staff. We still hang out with our general surgery friends. Right now we're in the middle of a like virtual scavenger hunt with the rest <laughs> of the general surgery people. So it's been really great. It's actually a really good experience, I would say. Yeah. And clinically, it's kind of an interesting dynamic just because you go through the first three years and you're learning from all of these residents and these attendings. And then even kind of once you hit your fourth year, you'll even get calls from attendings that'll say, hey, I have this problem. How would you solve it? Because I just need somebody with a plastic surgery brain real quick to help me solve this problem. And so it's very nice to have that kind of relationship with those attendings and those residents. And you mentioned, I think, five different facilities. Can you briefly go through what those are and what you see at the different sites? So we have Eskenazi Hospital. That's our county hospital. It's incredibly beautiful. It's pretty, fairly new. There you kind of get a lot of bread and butter plastic surgery, trauma, you know, your lower extremity reconstruction. It's going to be pretty much what you would see at a county hospital. And then... If we go on to Riley, that's our children's hospital. Essentially, over there, we do a lot of craniofacial surgery, as well as just general peds, plastic surgery. Our burn unit is there. Actually, I should say at Eskenazi, that's where the adult burn unit is. And then Riley has our pediatric burn unit. They're both level one trauma centers. And then there's Methodist, which is another adult facility. It's going to have a lot of our breast reconstruction, a lot of trauma there as well. For Methodists, it seems like there's a lot of kind of complex cases mm-hmm. that aren't housed necessarily at university because they almost seem to be a yeah. little bit higher acuity in terms of mm-hmm. needing to get done a little faster. Yeah, we also have the hand service that's there as well. And then university, one that we just talked about. Methodist, by the way, is another level one trauma center. University does not have an emergency room, but it carries a lot of the large complex cases, a lot of oncologic reconstruction goes on there. So we have a lot of big cases, but it's kind of nice because there's when you're there, you don't get a lot of ED consults or anything. Mm-hmm. And then there's our VA, Richard Rodebush VA Medical Center. So again, over there, it's with that population, it's kind of, again, bread and butter, but a lot of skin cancer removals, reconstruction, some minor hand procedures, and then sometimes some oncologic reconstruction. How are your rotations structured? So we actually are pretty unique in that we oftentimes have more cases than residents. And so while we are scheduled to be rotating at a certain hospital for typically a month at a time, we are able to look at the board overall for all of the ORs and talk to some of the chiefs from the other rotations. And if there are cases that are uncovered, if they're particularly big cases or cases that people need for index cases, we communicate that to the rest of the residents. So people are very able to freely move between the hospitals and cover cases if they're needed. And sometimes for some of our rotations, especially in your fourth, fifth, and sixth years, you may have 
even though it's mostly by one month, you may have some where you're at a place for two months, usually not more than three months, though. And are there any fellows at any of the sites? We don't have any fellows, which... just a burn fellow, and that's it. But that doesn't really interfere with, like, our general plastics, no. I would say that's one of really the benefits of our program, not to... Mm -hmm. Not to hate on fellows out there. <laughs> you guys are doing great. Uh, I want to be a fellow yeah, one day. Um, <laughs> but I would say that one of the benefits of our program is that we do not have fellows in microsurgery or hand. And so the complex cases, we are the primary person working alongside the attending. And I understand that fellows want to learn too. They're great at teaching and they are very useful for giving a different perspective. But for our program, it's really nice to be able to get that hands-on experience right next to the attending, doing really difficult mm-hmm. cases and, and feeling like you are taking a sense of pride and independence in those cases. We're marking and, you know, doing club flips with our attendings and, you know, doing these complex hand things. And you're really the primary person and doing a lot of micro as well. And can you tell me a bit about the research experience? So I've done a bit of research in my days at Indiana. I would say that the residents, first and foremost, will do clinical research if they choose to do research. We are expected to at least be working on a project every year. Some people are better at collecting data and kind of doing the background work for it. Other people are really fond of writing papers. Our program asks that we have an academic interest, but there are certainly residents who have graduated this program without a paper, and they do just fine clinically. As for me, I really like clinical outcomes. I like to look into hand surgery and microsurgery and research those topics. And so I feel like I get a lot of good faculty support when I have an idea for a research project. But a lot of the research projects, I am able to work on my own or kind of bounce ideas off of attendings or other residents. And so it's kind of a very supportive community. And you can use other people and have a teamwork approach as much or as little as you want, really. And what kind of support's available when you're ready to present or publish? So for our program, if you get a podium presentation at any of the conferences, they will pay for you to go. At APS, if you get a podium or a poster, they will also pay for you to go and There's actually no limit on how many conferences you can go to, which some of us have taken (laughs) advantage of. It is a good incentive. I think my intern year, I went to nine conferences, and it was pretty much because I had a couple of projects that basically all kind of culminated at the same time, and it was very lovely, but it was was a busy year. I don't actually think I would do it again. (laughs) It taught me that maybe nine is a little excessive, <laughs> but that it is a nice perk. It is a nice thing that you're gaining the support of your residency program. They're recognizing that you're doing hard work and they're rewarding you for it. Can you tell me a bit about call? Sure. So call, people start taking their first year, of course, if they're an independent, but as an integrated, it doesn't start until you are a second year. And obviously you're only in our pool when you're on plastic surgery 
services or something where you're not taking, you know, general surgery call. At the moment, we have three different call pools. So there's the primary, like, plastics call pool. That's kind of like where you start. That's going to include kind of a range of what we're covering. So we split hand call with orthopedics at the different hospitals. And then depending which hospitals we split with ENT and also potentially OMFS. And so we kind of have like a table as to what other traumas we're covering. So there's that call pool. We have a burn call pool. And then we currently have a hand call pool with Methodist Hospital. And so we kind of just get split up amongst these call pools. Typically, we'll have anywhere from five or six or so calls per month, usually, which isn't too bad. It's all home call. I think that the thought of having three call pools is always a little bit terrifying. It really is not nearly (laughs) as bad as it sounds. Because depending on what service you're on, too, that kind of helps to dictate. So if you're on burn, you take burn call, you know, with the fellow. Or if you're on hand, you may take that and then it's supplemented because we split that call pool as well with ortho. And we certainly have a backup system for everybody that is taking primary call. So our chiefs are backup. They take backup call a week at a time, and then they are there to support us if we need during the night. I will say that our call is, it can be busy, but I've never felt so overwhelmed that I've actually had to call the chief in. And that's not saying anything about my skills in particular. It's just saying about the call that it's not overwhelming. You will certainly have call nights that you'll be pretty tired the next day, but there's nothing that feels like you can't overcome it. And are there opportunity for specific elective rotations, usually in the later years? I think we have historically had a couple of chiefs who have been able to go and do electives elsewhere. It takes a little bit of convincing, I will say. We don't have an elective rotation that we are commonly participating in, but there have been certain chiefs who have had a primary interest in either a part of the country where they're trying to apply or they have a particular interest in working with an attending in particular. There was one who went down to Miami at one point to work with one particular attending and he was given reign to do that. So it's possible to do electives. We don't commonly do them unless you seek them out. And are there any opportunities for global rotations or mission trips? We don't currently. We did previously send people to Kenya. I know it's something I think that they're kind of working on getting reset up. There's always the option. I went on an unrelated mission trip, medical mission trip, but that was, I just took, you know, a week of vacation and and was able to, you know, work it out to go. But yeah, at the moment, we don't really have a set up in place thing anymore. The IU Department of Surgery actually has a really good relationship in Kenya. They have a sister campus in Kenya, and a lot of the general surgeons and general surgery residents will actually get some opportunities to go to Kenya and work in that sister institution. I think there's been a push for more plastic surgeons to be able to go to Kenya and serve their roles there and allow for plastic surgery residents to come with. So it's been something that's in the making, but it's not quite in place yet. And what is the cosmetic experience like? We have a couple of 
private physicians that we work with in town. And so you get most of your cosmetics starting your fourth year. So you'll do a month in your fourth year and then a couple of months in your fifth year. And then I can't remember how many it is in your sixth year, but essentially we do six months of purely cosmetics. Occasionally we're at Methodist or some of the other facilities downtown. Our other attendings will get cosmetic cases that we can do there. So you may get some earlier than that as well. It's just not as frequent as, of course, like your reconstructive cases. But yeah, we have six dedicated months of cosmetics. And is there a chief cosmetic clinic? We don't have a chief cosmetic clinic. We do have our injection clinic in which we invite friends, you know, just people that would like to be our volunteers. And we do um, a lot of injectables, Botox, filler, and such. But yeah, we don't have like a dedicated chief cosmetic clinic. And that injection clinic actually spans all PGY levels. So my last injection clinic, I believe we had one of the interns brought a couple of friends and was injecting filler and Botox and was getting his hands dirty right away. So it's certainly something that we all participate in. And is there any experience with gender affirmation surgery? We do a lot of top surgery. They currently have a new urologist, too, that just came, who is going to, you know, thankfully be on board and helping just with female-to-male bottom gender affirmation surgeries. We did have another surgeon. She went on to go to private practice in Miami. She kind of founded the, the program that we have here. Dr. Gallagher really set up our program for... Yeah a really lovely multidisciplinary clinic that is at Eskenazi for our gender affirmation patients. Prior to her being at Indiana University, we really didn't have that kind of resource for our patients. And so now we have psychologists, psychiatrists, the primary care physicians, the surgeons, everyone kind of working in a nice cohesive team where there is a dedicated referral pattern and a very nice way to help our gender affirmation patients without overwhelming them or having unrealistic expectations that they feel that they can't achieve. So I think that was kind of one of the greatest things that Dr. Gallagher gave to our institution and left Mm -hmm. our institution is that she really kind of founded this program, set it up, and pretty much anybody who We're actually currently looking for a gender affirmation surgeon to fill her role. And really anybody who would come into this program would be very well set up in this type of clinic. We previously were doing top and bottom, but once Dr. Gallagher left, we still continue to do top surgery, but we're looking for someone who can help fill out the full picture. And are there any other perks about your program you'd like to share? We have a education fund. Each year, the program gives us basically like $300 of free money to, you know, put towards your education, whether it's books, laptops, loops, you know, whatever you want. You get that each year. And then we do get money on our meal cards for call as well. If you get the money on your meal card at Eskenazi, then you have to go to the cafeteria. They have a... (laughs) chef that works in the cafeteria 24-7, and this man is amazing, I'm telling you. He has made many a call night much better. So the food at Eskenazi, though it's a county hospital, is surprisingly amazing. They have a sky farm. It's like on top of the hospital, and they will use some of that food to 
make the food downstairs. It's great. And what's the mid-level support like? We have great mid-levels. Yeah. It varies from place to place as to how many you may have or this or that. I think that some of the busier services, we have really good support with our mid-levels. Some of the services that we really don't have too high a volume, we are without a mid-level on those services, but the mid-levels are really great for being able to support us, getting us to the OR, seeing concerns on the floor, seeing even consults in the ED. Our mid-levels really help they are great. quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> we love them. And what area of plastic surgery would you say that residents come out with the strongest experience in? We yeah. have had residents come out of this program and go into any specialty and feel comfortable. For whatever reason, for the past couple of years, we've all been inspired <laughs> to do hand, and Corey and I are no exception. <laughs> but I think that just might be because Dr. Adkinson is a really great mentor. But... Honestly, we've had residents that have completed their training and have gone into cosmetic, have gone into microsurgery. Obviously, most of those residents go into a fellowship just because they, I think you kind of need a fellowship for microsurgery at this point. We've oh, had... We have some that don't. We have some that just do it. Yeah, that's true. We've had several that just go out into private practice or the community and are able to do microsurgery cases, no problem. So the strongest coming out is really difficult. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose it depends on the person. I don't think it would be something like craniofacial because that's just hard. You'd have to do a fellowship for that. But yeah, I mean, I think pretty much any of the stuff that we get a large breadth of day-to-day, we're all pretty confident in. And how would you improve your program? I would say we could use some more residents. <laughs> we could definitely use another resident. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which they're working on trying to increase the size they should have to find some obviously a, a place needs funding for additional spots but i think that's something that's in potentially in the works i would say the residents is probably the biggest one yeah. we have we have so many cases that there are cases that go uncovered like good um, cases we obviously try to cover those <laughs> but sometimes there are literally just not enough bodies and yeah. so it's nice because you can get your pick of what you want to cover and what you want to see But at the same time, if we had another resident, it would probably be nice for even that person to be able to enjoy a nice breadth of cases and be able to cover those. So now I'd like to transition and hear about your program leadership. Dr. Gordillo is our chief who came two years ago. She is very strong in her basic science background. She has several grants, uh, a lot of funding behind her, and she has a very large basic science lab that she runs that is primarily focused on biofilm and its effect on wound healing. She is a really wonderful addition to our program. She is very supportive, has a very good idea of what's required kind of at the national level for leadership. She's obviously the PSF president this year, and so she's very supportive in that regard. She has a lot of funding behind her, and she's also very pleasant and wonderful to work with in the OR, a very good resource. I enjoy working with her quite a bit. Dr. Wooden's our program director. He's really great. 
I will say he's like definitely part of the reason I decided to come here. He's really fun, very supportive as well. I do a lot of research with him uh, in terms of preoperative wellness. He really has our back. He wants to make sure we're all doing well and if there's anything he can do for us. He's just like a great guy. If you ever talk to Dr. Wooden, for any of the applicants out there, Dr. Wooden will talk about his animals <laughs> yeah. any day of the week. He has, I, I can never remember, yeah. it's like six goats, Horse, two horses, horses three dogs. dogs. Cats. <laughs> he has a bunch of animals. Mm-hmm. And if you ever want to talk to Dr. Wooden about anything, you should just bring up an animal that you've seen <laughs> at one point in your life, and he will talk to you about it. <laughs> Can you tell me about a time when you brought up an issue to the program leadership and how they responded? So I think that in any program, there's always not necessarily big things that happen on a daily basis, but there can be some, you know, smaller, even personality issues, call concerns, things like that, that arise. And basically, Anytime that we have approached Dr. Wooden or Dr. Gordillo, they're always very willing to have our back. They're very willing to listen. I personally have talked to Dr. Wooden at, you know, 10 p.m. on a Friday night about things that I'll say, you know, I I think that this could be improved. And they're very open to listening and open to change. They're very receptive to specific issues that we bring up. And they're always asking, you know, is there anything that we, you know, need to be aware of and so on and so forth. So. They do handle things pretty expeditiously if we let them know. And what role do residents have in department decision-making when it comes to selecting new residents or new faculty hires? We actually have a fairly good role in that. So particularly with faculty hires, the residents are asked to go to lunch with any of the potential applicants. So at any time we are meeting any of the applicants, being able to have a nice casual lunch with them, kind of pick their brain on where they've been, what they plan on doing, you know, seeing if their personality kind of matches ours. Like I think we said before, we have a very nice little congenial family here. And so I would say that our attendings and our residents all kind of fit into that that little warm family that we have. And so it's very nice. As far as residents that are chosen, We have, for the interview day, there is a time where the applicants are able to ask us about our program. I think even this year with the remote interviews, there's still going to be kind of a Zoom meeting room. We kind of did that at the tail end of last year when we had to turn some of our independent interviews into it. And it worked out well. We still have like the resident room or the resident Zoom, whatever (laughs) that we do. And then also two of the upcoming chief class gets to sit on the board kind of like equal with faculty. So while the residents also get to know everyone and can kind of see if everyone meshes, there's also those few residents who also have equal vote. And those residents interview in their own interview room. It's not like we have some interview going on that people don't realize. It's not like a secret. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You'll know when you're being interviewed. We're very upfront. And now can you tell me a bit more about the relationships between the residents? We are very close, I will say. COVID has really put a damper on all of our social activities that Mm -hmm. we liked to do as a group. And I think probably any program could say that. But for even Thanksgiving, every year at my house, I host a Friendsgiving 
It was very small this year, but in years past, it's included any of the residents who are still in town who aren't able to go home for whatever reason. We have a very warm type of relationship with everybody. I would say that most of us hang out with each other after work. Obviously, I'm hanging out with Corey right (laughs) now. (laughs) And this is no exception. Yeah, exactly. We like hang out. I've met some of my like best friends. Julia's like my best friend. So, you know, we've been residency not before and we've gotten to, you know, go to each other's weddings and, you know, we hang out. We're there for each other when people have some family issues and things people feel comfortable to ask you know the group like hey can i get some help here like if they need someone to talk to things like that so we're all pretty open and you know care about each other so now i'd love to hear a little bit more about like the logistics of how residents live in indianapolis so do most people own or rent it's kind of 50 50 and we'll talk about the integrated residents i guess since that's kind of the primary thing since we're here for you know six years a lot of us do own but there are some people who either start out in an apartment or decide to stay in an apartment so it's probably somewhere around i would say maybe a little bit more people own more people own yeah more people own in the integrated and the cost of living in indianapolis is actually quite exceptional so we probably get paid just as much as any other program but our paycheck goes a lot further here. It's not unreasonable to be able to own a home. And it's something that people very frequently look forward to when they move here. I have a two bed, two and a half bath, and it's way cheaper than rent for an apartment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. I have a three bedroom, two and a half bath house and... It's just a very reasonable area to live in. You can afford to eat and have a house. It's (laughs) incredible. Traffic's not crazy or or anything like that. Like, of course, there's a rush hour as is anywhere. But I live about anywhere from like 12 to 15 minutes from the hospital. And you're like... I'm 10. Yeah, like 10 minutes. And neither of us live downtown. Yeah, we don't live downtown. So it's, you know, really nice to, to be able to commute but it's a short commute and the neighbors are all very different they're all very nice you can kind of pick your personality based on yeah. your neighborhood Corey lives in more of a hipster neighborhood I do. it's um, called sobro that makes you sound very hipster <laughs> i live in more of a i'm probably the misplaced person in my <laughs> neighborhood because i live in a neighborhood full of a bunch of families and i actually don't have children so they get the school bus, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> you guys enjoy your day. I don't know how that works. But it's a very nice place, and residents feel comfortable even. I joke about not having children, but residents do feel very comfortable having families here. It's a reasonable place to have families, send your kids to school. You can afford to feed them, too. It's nice. What is kind of the breakdown of people that are single, married, have kids? I would say, I think it's 50-50 on the single married. And then there are probably half of the people that are married have children. So it's a nice mix of everybody from all different walks of life. And is it necessary to have a car? I would say yes. Some people decide that they, you know, want to live really close to campus. uh, But I'd still say yes. (laughs) I would say yes if you want to leave downtown. We actually had an attending who, when he first got here, 
he did not have a car and did not have any interest in having a car. And he biked to work every day and he was just fine, even in the middle of the winter, which sometimes was sad because you drive by him. <laughs> it's possible, but he also lived downtown and he only wanted to stay downtown. He lived in kind of a nice area downtown with a bunch of restaurants and shopping centers and different places to go downtown. And so he didn't feel the need to go anywhere else. But Indianapolis is also kind of spread out if you want to leave downtown. North of us, we have Fishers and Carmel, which are other areas that you can go to arts districts. You can go shopping. There are multiple activities to do in those areas. And so having a car is not necessarily necessary for work, per se, but it is for, I would say, getting out and enjoying your personal life. And so beyond the affordability of living in Indianapolis, what else do you like about it? There's a lot to do. I would say there's always a good amount of stuff to do, like in terms of festivals or trying out new like restaurants or, you know, nightlife. I feel like there was always a variety and it's enough that I feel like there's always something that I could be doing. But at the same time, while doing residency, I don't feel so overwhelmed, like, ah, I'm missing everything like (laughs) it's like a good happy i would say a good happy medium the residents actually get a free membership to newfields which is Mm -hmm. the formerly the indianapolis museum of art and it is a truly lovely place they have a lot of different setups every year we just went to fall harvest nights Mm -hmm. which is kind of their halloween version of everything you walk around the grounds They have different foods and decorations set up. It's really lovely. Their biggest event is Winter Lights, which actually I think we're going to in a couple weeks. (laughs) And so that's similarly kind of beautiful. You walk around the grounds, you enjoy the weather and the company. And so that is kind of one of the perks that we get from being an IU resident. It's for our wellness, and I really appreciate that part of it. Are there any other kind of like wellness initiatives or how do you think the program deals with wellness? We do have a couple like per year, there's two kind of like wellness events. So basically they give us starting at like noon or something. You can't be on your service. One of them falls on the day of in-service. And so you just don't go back after you're done. And the program pays for us to you know, we've gone to Top Golf. we've gone to a place called Punchbowl Social, but essentially they just pay for us to go to an event and food and, and enjoy you know, have some drinks and just enjoy ourselves and not take any pages. <laughs> so it's great. It's really yeah. lovely. And every year, obviously not because of this year, <laughs> but uh, every year we have a Christmas party that we all really enjoy. It's typically a very fabulous affair. And so we always really enjoyed kind of dressing up on to the nines and going out and having a good night. Well, I think that's most of what I wanted to talk about today. Any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of selecting a residency? I would say if I could go back and look at how I was preferencing programs when I was interviewing, I would say one of the things I'd tell myself is to look at how the residents interact You want to go to a program where you're going to meet somebody that you want to hang out with, that you want to work with on a day-to-day basis. I think our program is really spectacular in the fact that we have a very warm 
type of community that we have here. We're all very supportive. And six years doesn't seem like that long. It is very long, <laughs> I assure you. There are, there are some days that go faster than others, but <laughs> it's a difficult process to do by yourself. And so mm-hmm. I would say that if I were going to talk to my younger self, I'd say really focus on the interactions of the residents when you meet them, because that's that's really important. Obviously, I lucked yeah. out. It's something I didn't think about until I started residency. I would just say in selecting a place, see what's important to you as a person. So whether it's you really want to be able to own a home or you want to be able to drive from place to place. If you have like certain things that you really want, be cautious in trying to choose somewhere that's going to be the complete opposite, just for your fundamental values and, and wellness. I wanted a place where I could, you know, have a home and get around and have stuff to do and things. And I think if I'd end up like a large city where I couldn't have a car or some of those freedoms, I probably wouldn't be as happy. Your quality of life is very important. Remember that, please. And how can interested applicants find out more about your program? We have an Instagram. If they want to reach out to us there, they can also follow us. Our tag is IU Plastic Surgery. And that's one of the ways we also have, you can find us on, if you look through the IU website. There's a plastic surgery place there. But if you have any questions or things, we're happy to answer them on our Instagram. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our 